Welcome to Lead On, a program where we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary. And it's my privilege each week to talk with you about a practical issue related to the hands-on, nuts-and-bolts work of ministry leadership. Now today, I want to talk with you about sustaining your passion as a leader. Sustaining your passion. When I first started out as a pastor, I attended a minister's luncheon, and I sat across the table from a veteran pastor. Uh, We made the typical small talk among ministers, and then eventually... Someone asked me to describe as a new pastor, a younger pastor, my vision for my ministry in that church and in that community. I was so excited. I shared my ideas about how we could reach people and how we might need to enlarge our facilities or maybe even relocate at some point and how willing the church seemed to expand its ministry and grow and really how excited I was to be a part of this opportunity. When I finished saying all of that, the pastor across the table from me just looked up from his plate and said, well, you'll get over it. I was crushed. His slumped shoulders and scowl made it obvious that he had lost any enthusiasm or any excitement about ministry. He was beaten and defeated. Whatever passion had prompted him to enter ministry was gone. And as I left that luncheon that day, I remember praying for the other pastor, but I also prayed for myself, and I said, Lord, please don't let that ever happen to me. Sustain my passion for ministry. Now, passion is more than just the emotion of the moment. That's really adrenaline. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm not talking about the momentary high that you get from preaching a good sermon or listening to a great worship set or hearing a deeply moving prayer. I'm not talking about that kind of emotional moment. Nothing wrong with those. They're good to have from time to time. Passion is much deeper. In fact, passion is an interesting word. It's really more connected in the Bible to the word compassion. Now, in the Bible, the word translated compassion literally means a rumbling in the gut or a stirring down in the bowels. Now, that's not too appealing until you remember that the that the bowels, not the heart, were the symbolic center of life in the first century worldview. People didn't think about their heart being warmed. They thought about their bowels being moved, if you will. And that is the root word producing compassion. So compassion in this biblical sense is the deep motive, not the emotional moment, but the deep motive that drives a person's actions. Compassion is a part of a person's core deep down who they are, the heart issues that propel these actions. Now, this contrasts with the modern view of compassion, which is something more akin to what you feel when you watch a Hallmark movie. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about sustaining passion 
for ministry leadership. I'm talking about compassion, meaning deep down, driving, powerful, pulsating force that keeps you going in ministry leadership. Now, the best model for sustaining passion is, of course, Jesus. And what I'm about to say, especially in the next few minutes, is really counterintuitive. It sounds almost the opposite of what should produce passion for leadership. But we're going to look at the model of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, where the Bible tells us that Jesus felt compassion for people. And this phrase is tucked into a description of Jesus's ministry, particularly his ministry among people. And we're going to see that counterintuitively to what many people might think, passion for ministry leadership is not about avoiding people getting away from people, or disengaging from people. It's about relating to people in the right way so that those relationships fuel your passion rather than drain your passion for leadership. In this passage in Matthew, we first learn that Jesus really connected with people. The Bible says Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. In short, uh, Jesus spent a lot of time with people. You know, the Bible often summarizes statements or offers summary statements that can be read quickly but encompass days or weeks, months, or even years sometimes. When the Bible says Jesus went to all the towns and villages, we read over that fairly quickly, but have you ever considered how much time was involved in just that one phrase of Scripture? Jesus walked or maybe rode slowly on an animal everywhere he went. Uh, His available modes of transportation did not allow him to rush through towns and villages. Jesus was not uh, roaring around in a sports car. He was walking around or riding on a beast of burden. Jesus moved slowly. He went with people. He connected with them, identified with them spent time where they lived and worked and worshiped. Jesus was really with them. Jesus also spent time preaching and teaching. You know, those two activities take time. The Bible says Jesus also spent time healing, meaning that Jesus moved among sick people, taking time to speak to them, and in most cases to touch them to bring about their healing. I know this sounds backwards, really. Some people think, well, the way you sustain your passion in ministry is you avoid people. Jesus said the opposite. Compassion, he said, is facilitated by, fueled by, is a part of really connecting with people. But then even beyond that, compassion comes from seeing people as they really are. Matthew writing continues, when Jesus saw the crowds... He felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw people as they really are. He saw them as weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. You know, when you see people as they really are, 
it touches you deeply and motivates you to take action toward them. Jesus saw people as they really were, not as they appeared to be or as they may have even tried to be. Jesus saw more than faceless crowds. He saw people who were weary and worn out, who were helpless and hurting. And Jesus, seeing people as they really are, motivated his passion for ministry to them. You know, Jesus had the uncanny ability to see people as they really are. That is a spiritual discipline, and it is a challenging one. We tend to see people superficially, but Jesus sees people as they really are. This story came home to me one time when I was talking with a teenage boy. He asked me a question as a pastor, a leader, about going to strip clubs. And when he asked the question, I almost defaulted to being argumentative with him. In other words, I almost slipped into giving him a lot of didactic reasons and a lot of scripture verses and a lot of uh, shame-filled ideas about why going to a strip club was so bad. But just before I started down that line of reasoning and conversation, I stopped. I lowered my voice and I said, you know, the reason we can't watch nude dancers is because each woman on that stage is someone's daughter, someone's sister. Well, my friend that was talking to me stopped for a moment and he said, you know, you're right. Everything changes when you see people for who they really are. Man, that statement just riveted in my mind when this young man said it. Everything changes when you see people for who they really are. As long as you're looking up on that stage and all you see is an object of lust, you're not going to feel any compassion and you won't be motivated by passion to bring any kind of ministry relationship into that woman's life. But if you look up there and you see someone for who they really are, somebody's daughter, somebody's sister, maybe somebody's mother. You see someone who's broken and hurting. You see someone who's working in perhaps the only way they know how to try to find a way to survive in a difficult situation. When you see people for who they really are, it changes everything, and it stirs something deep within us. So we learn that Jesus really connected with people, and he saw people for who they really are. Then, beyond that, Jesus reached out to people, embracing them, and in that context, drawing something from them which fueled his passion. Man, that's not the way we see most people. I know when I see a protester on TV that's behaving in a bad way, when I see a rioter who's damaging or destroying property, 
When I see people carrying signs that are offensive to my sensibilities or holding on to positions that contradict what the Bible says about life, when I see all that, quite frankly, I don't feel any passion or compassion. I just feel anger. I want something done about these people. I want them out of my face, off my screen, and away from my community. Wow. But when Jesus sees people like this, he looks beyond the superficial and sees deep into them their hurts, their pains, their longings, their dreams. We have to learn to do this. We have to learn to see people as they really are and connect with people just as they are, and in doing so, see if we aren't changed in that process. Now, let me give you three steps that will help you to do what I've talked about so far on the show. The first thing that will help you to see people as they are and embrace them for who they are, the first thing you can do is learn to accept people as they are. Now, it's so difficult to do this because we want to accept people as we hope they will be or become. We want to accept people for what they're like on their very best days. But that's really not how you embrace people. That's really not how you accept people for who they are and for where they are. No, to do that, you have to accept people as they are. I remember a few years ago, I was teaching at a youth retreat. I was teaching about moral purity and the importance of maintaining our sexual integrity. There was a young woman at that retreat. She was about 16 years old, and she seemed to be so attentive and to be soaking up so much of what I was saying, and I was so pleased with her capacity to understand and even to put into practice what we were teaching. A few months later, her parents called and asked if I could meet with them, and so went by their home, and they said, "Uh, we're sorry to tell you this, Pastor, but uh, our daughter, our daughter's pregnant. So I turned to the, to the, to the girl and I said, uh, is, is this true? And she hung her head and started sobbing, tears dropping down onto the carpet. And she said, yes, it is true. Well, in that moment, how did I see her? Did I see her as a rebellious teenager who had had the opportunity by hearing what I had taught to make better choices? Or did I see her as a broken young woman who was desperately in need for emotional support and needing someone to step into her life in a positive way? In that moment, I had to make a decision. Was I going to accept this young woman as she was, or was I going to accept her as I wanted her to be? I made the decision to accept her as she was, to extend ministry to her. And in the context of that conversation, I felt my heart breaking as emotion welled up within me and passion flowed out of me toward her because of the situation she was in and the ministry that she needed. The first step toward embracing people, accepting them as they are, is simply accepting them and the situation you find them and deciding to relate to them on those terms. The second step is Relating to people, as I just said, on their terms. This is so hard to do because, quite frankly, we want to relate to people on our terms. But relating to them on their terms is so important. 
I remember one group of people that I uh, was leading a Bible study for as a group of women that uh, met during the week, and they asked me to come and speak from time to time on special topics, and I did that. And then they decided to do a book study of the Bible, and they accomplished the book of Acts, and then they, they had a lot of questions about that. So I went out and met with them about those questions, and the relationship just kept building over time. This was a non-denominational group of Christian women. They had means. They met at the country club. They had husbands who had real influence in the community. And then one day they said, we have a Christmas party every year, and our husbands will all be there, and we'd like for you to meet them. And I said, I'd be delighted to come. And then one of them said, well, yeah, but they'll all be drinking. And I said, okay. They said, well, will that be a problem for you? And I said, well, I doubt it. I don't think they're going to hold me down and force me to take in alcohol, so I think we'll all be okay. You know, I went to that party, and I related those men on their terms, on their turf, in their location, and pretty soon, some of them started asking me about what I did and what my connection to the group was, and then that led into some discussion about what the Bible study had been about, and well, it was only a few months later that the first of those men came to place his faith in Jesus Christ as a result of my witness. My point is this. My passion for those men was rooted in the fact that I accepted them on their terms, met them in their place. I didn't want them living the way they were living. I wanted them to be Christians, but they weren't going to become Christians by my haughty attitude. They were going to become Christians by my compassion and my passion that was demonstrated by me connecting with them where they are. Well, I think you're getting the idea, but now let's bring some balance to it. I said on the one hand that sustaining passion in ministry following the example of Jesus is actually about how we plug into relationships with people and how we draw passion out of those relational contexts. That's counterintuitive to what many people would say. Many people would say, no, if you want to sustain yourself in ministry leadership, you need to get away from people. People are draining. People take it out of you. People are not the solution. Well, that's just not the model of Jesus. Jesus modeled compassion by going where people were, doing meeting people on their terms, connecting with people in their deepest need, and somehow in the context of doing that, God evoked compassion from him. He'll do the same for you. But now the opposite side of the story. And that is, there is an opportunity, again, following the model of Jesus, to pull away from people from time to time and to re uh, engage or to uh, re, re, uh, replenish ourselves emotionally so that we might re-engage people in a healthy way. Jesus models not only drawing compassion and sustaining passion for ministry by engaging with people, but also from time to time breaking off and finding the balance we need and the replenishing we need from other choices. Like, first of all, rest weekly. You know, God laid down the law, work six days, rest one, seems pretty clear. When we follow this pattern, it sustains us over the long haul. But leaders, nah, we're typically energetic, driven people who think they're exempt from this principle. We're going to work all the time and show how devoted we can be. And even even if we do harm to ourselves, that'll still be good because we're going to show our devotion by working seven days a week, 365 days a year. Well, that's not the pattern that God laid out. He said, six days a week, 
I want you connected to people. I want you following this model of Jesus. I want you out there preaching and teaching and ministering. I want you doing the work that's required to meet the needs of people on their terms, where they are, in ways they understand. And in the doing of that, you're going to find passion fueled for ministry. But then when you've done that for a while, at least one day out of every seven, I want you to pull away, rest, rejuvenate, replenish, and find in that context and in that pattern the passion you need for ministry leadership. Well, you're thinking, man, that's hard. It's so hard in today's world to pull away for a day. I know that. But just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not important and doesn't mean you can't do it. Now, I've done other shows in the past on Sabbath rest and how to build sabbatical into your weekly schedule and into your periodic schedule, so I won't repeat all that today. But I would just simply say, the pattern of Jesus was six days a week, he's plugged into people. And out of that relationship, he is fueled for passion for ministry. But then one day a week, one day a week, pull away. Follow the same pattern that's described in the Bible. Pull away. Turn off your cell phone. Stop checking your email. Do not go by the office. Let your answering uh, machine or let your answering service or let your voicemail on your phone, let someone (laughs) check your calls and screen your calls and take your messages. If you have uh, staff that work with you and you're fortunate enough to have that, coach them to understand that when you're taking that day away, you are not to be bothered. I sometimes jokingly tell my assistant, uh, only call me if something's on fire and don't let anything catch on fire. (laughs) In other words, I'm pulling away and let's make sure that I get the rest I need. So not only did Jesus rest weekly, but he also retreated occasionally. Jesus, uh, on several times in the Bible, pulled away from everyone and spent some time alone or spent some time with a small group of disciples around him, resting, rejuvenating, refreshing, getting ready to go back into the work. Now, these retreat occasionally experiences can be one, two, three days, whatever you think they might need to be. You can do something like a prayer retreat or a planning retreat, a marriage retreat, study retreat, something like that. These are the kinds of things you can pull away and spend time recovering or spend time resting and getting ready to go back into your leadership responsibilities. Now, Retreating occasionally might also involve vacationing from time to time. But let me caution you that the kind of rest and retreat that rejuvenates your passion is not the typical American vacation where we're trying to conquer as many miles, as many locations, and see as many family members as possible in a 7 to 10 or 14-day time frame. Now, there's not anything wrong with that kind of family trip where you go out and try to see things and cover ground and connect with people. Nothing at all wrong with that. But what I'm talking about today is something different, and that is resting weekly and retreating occasionally where you pull away for two or three days for rest, rejuvenation, replenishment to get ready to go back to that six days of work that you're going to do with people that in and of itself will replenish you, free charge you, and give you the grace that you need to keep going in ministry. Well, today we've been talking about sustaining passion in ministry leadership, and we've taken an approach, the approach of Jesus, which in some ways is counterintuitive. 
I understand the rest weekly and retreat occasionally. That's what most people would say is the foundation of sustaining passion, and those things are very important. But don't forget that before Jesus rested weekly and retreated occasionally, before Jesus did those things, he spent the bulk of his time engaged with people. And that engagement in and of itself is a way to fuel your passion for leadership. You fuel that passion by meeting people where they are, accepting people as they are, serving people on their terms, and asking God to strip away the veneer of false ways that we see people and to give us a deep connection to their real needs, their real longings, their real problems, that we might understand how deeply, deeply we can connect with them emotionally and out of that have the passion, the passion, to drive us in ministry leadership. Six days a week of work engaging with people. It's a way to sustain passion in ministry by the way you see people. And then resting and retreating brings that kind of balance we need to help us sustain this lifelong pattern. You can do it. I challenge you to do it as you lead on.